And we're live. Welcome to the Questioning Commission. Uh, we're just three friends from the Mother City sitting back on a Sunday night to talk about the fuckery of the week. I'm jo- my name is Chase, and I'm joined by my friend. My name is Gwenzo, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. What a week. What a long, long week. You know, it's been interesting from the U.S. to South Africa, but there's, there's a lot to discuss, I think. I've got quite a number of points I'd like to go through, but then we'll see what time allows us to do. No, no, excellent. Uh, and also just want to congratulate congratulate you on your daughter, the birth of your daughter. So there's that. Thank I mean, it has, been, it, it has been a busy week. Uh, may she have a little prosperous life and uh, yeah. not support the ANC, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's yeah. Um, let's dig into it, man. We'll, we'll, usually the format of this is that each uh, participant has points and we just yep. bring it together over the week. So I know you prepared. Uh, I've got some talking points and yeah, let's just get into it, man. So what's been bugging you? Tell me what has been the number one thing that's been bugging you this week so far. Tell me. Well, this has probably been bugging you as well. It's our deputy president, David Mabuza. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> that guy that guy so yeah. in News 24 this week there was an article by I hope I pronounced this correctly Jan Heber oh, but it's spelled J-A-N space G-E-R-B-E-R so I can't really pronounce it pro- properly I apologize for that anyway the title is who is leading government business while Mabuza is booked off right so just to give you a bit of context and, and background into the article, Mabuz is in charge of government business. It's I think it's a portfolio or a part of government administration, so he's in charge of that particular branch, government business. And he was supposed to answer questions in parliament, but then was advised not to after consulting with his doctor. And also last month, he cancelled the Q&A session, a Q&A session with the National Council. And fuck me, man. <laughs> Last month, he cancelled a Q&A session with the National Council of Provinces and the National Assembly. And then DA Deputy Chief Whip Jacques Julius wants to know what happens to his questions and his work as government business leader, right? And it's, it's quite interesting to, to go through this article because there was something that was said by Mabuza's council in the parliament. I just want to quickly open the link and read that to you. It was just a number of questions directed at Jacques and yeah. his stance on Mabuza's absence. So Mabuza's parliamentary councillor NC MP Hope Babo took exception to Julius's questions and saying, Mr. Julius keeps raising these issues as if the deputy president does not want to answer the questions. Must the deputy president defy medical advice, right? The deputy president is not incap- incapacitated, but was asked actually not to answer questions, he said, adding that Mabuza would speak for up to three hours. So it's quite interesting for me because this guy, whenever he's supposed to be around, he's, he's either sick or there's some other reason as to why he's not around. And it's just, I don't know, man. It's it's a problem because it's Do a problem. Do we even know if he's alive? Do we even know that if he's, he's alive? <laughs> is he alive? <laughs> I haven't seen it. Have you mm-hmm. seen him? I haven't seen him. The yet. rumor mill says he's alive. I've seen pictures of him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, but as, then, you, as as Trump says, fake news. You know, fake news. You can't uh, you can't trust everything that you see, man. 
I mean, if you got a puppet as a president, uh, who knows where the uh, the vice president is? Maybe he's also there. Exactly. But then the thing for me now is if this guy is acting in this manner at this point in time and he's supposed to be next in line and he'll obviously be next in line because we've seen this lineage with the NC going on, you know, Mandela, Tabumpegi, there was KG there for 10 seconds, Zuma, Ramaphosa. So if you're deputy president, you're bound to be our president. Now my question is if he's going AWOL now, what happens in the next couple of years when he takes over as president? Will, we, will he be there? Will he be sick again to, I don't know, what do you think? Well, well firstly, right, if, if his health is in question, right, I'm pretty yeah. sure you have to pass, a, there must be some kind of uh, health thing. Like, I mean, Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders gave up his race because he's got heart problems. And, yeah. you know, so if you're unfit, like if you physically can't take it, I mean, look, look what they did to Obama. The presidency changes the person. You go from perfectly normal hair to gray <laughs> in a matter of seconds. So, like, yeah. whether we like it or not, the position is a draining position, all in all, right? Um, so, like, it's a taxing job, and I feel like it should be, like, spread out. You should delegate a lot. So, yeah. in that regard, maybe his health, if it's his health, then they need to find a new vice president. Like, if he physically can't do it. Because it's, like, in the public spotlight, and everything. So if he physically can't be there, then they need to find somebody else. Right? Definitely. Yeah. You get sick leave for a number of weeks and you keep going. But if it's a recurring theme and the, obviously every time he's supposed to speak and he's sick, then it must mean that <laughs> maybe he's got maybe he's got anxiety, right? We we're not gonna yeah. knock somebody down for the anxiety <laughs> in public speaking, right? It it happens, right? But then he's in the wrong profession. Then he's in the wrong profession. <laughs> Yeah, exactly my thoughts as well because he didn't come out of nowhere. You know, you have to move up the ranks. You start from provincial level, regional level, you move up to, you know, the ANC, you move up to government itself. And all that requires speaking in public. So you can't really have anxiety, you know, and say, I can't really speak in public. What are you doing for all these years? Where did you come from then? That's our question because politics is the art of speaking in public. So if you can't speak in public, then what are you doing? Why are you in this profession? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, um, yeah, and then secondly, if maybe you've got to wonder, does he feel like he has a say? I mean, if your hands are tied in every regard, like I'm sure it must be in the ANC. Do you really want to go make an ass out of yourself every time? So maybe yeah. it speaks to the further factionalism within the ANC, you know, Uh, we've seen it, we've we've seen it each week. There's a new instance of corruption or it can, it goes on, right? Some Um, new problem. I saw saw that that kind of, it's a perfect segue into what I wanted to say, uh, the article that I saw and the headline is it's in ENCA and the headline is, ANC Ramaphosa says ANC should disassociate itself from anyone accused of corruption. Right? Yeah. So maybe this is him just following that through. You know, um, <laughs> we we know that the ANC is broken, and I yeah. mean we, we we had it in our trial runs. We spoke about how Cyril has to either decide to fix the ANC or fix South Africa, and mm. the party is damaging its legacy. 
Yeah, I mm. think it's just my opinion. It could be my opinion or your opinion, but I I think it's common knowledge. Like I feel like you could do a general consensus and find out that babies basically people aren't happy with the NC, and yeah. it's mainly largely due to corruption, and that goes leads into nepotism, bribery, whatever you want to go, however you want to take it, and I just think that. Maybe that's maybe that's why he's doing it. Um, we we keep beating this bush to death, and yeah, I it's a difficult matter because how do you as somebody you're the VP and you kind of look clueless? I mean, before this we were all <laughs> praising Cyril, but I mean, yeah. he, as much as we he's the scapegoat because he's the head of this, he's the face figure, and he no matter if it's good or bad, he's going to take the rap. So, I mean, in a, his hands are tied. I mean, he failed to be decisive and cut out the snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in that, his inability to cut out the snakes is also what's kind of um, just his own Achilles heel. It's, it's, it's the problem with him. I mean, if yeah. he was unable to weed them out. See, if he came out this day and said, listen, you know, my hands are tied, my party's left out, without me, then mm-hmm. we know, okay, cool, Cyril, he died on his sword, he tried his best, but the problem is the yeah. ANC. Exactly. Right? But but his inability to speak out or do anything about it, I mean, I feel like he checks in with Zuma and Sele and whoever's behind the scenes. <laughs> like, he, yeah, yeah, he yeah. isn't running the show. He, he's not a captain commander. So I think that that in itself is the issue. Um yeah, I, I don't know what to say about the ANC. Uh, but then, I really don't. His his position is quite precarious because he didn't really have the support of all members when he was voted in as president of the ANC and eventually president of the country. That's why you see people like Ace taking him on, right? And he's had a hard time trying to balance the factions and actually try to move the country forward. Yeah, he's tried to get investments going and get corruption rooted out, but then it's more difficult than it seems because, as I think I've said for the past three weeks or two weeks, they take him on publicly. They don't really go uh, go and say, President said X, and we're going to stand with him. So that in itself creates a problem for the guy. And for me, it, it, it leads me to another point I have, but I won't make that point for now. It's an article as early on. I'll just let you go on and tell me what you have for me today. Okay, so I, I I saw an article. Uh, I was kind of my takeaway of last week, right? Um, yeah. It's about uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the situation in Kenya at the moment in regards to uh, Ch- China Chinese investment and the mm-hmm. BRI project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I saw an article saying the Kenya court rejects Chinese China's multi billion dollar BRI project. Yeah. So I'll just give you some feedback and then we can kind of discuss it. So the railway was uh, set up to help basically Kenyan uh, inf- uh, businesses travel, transport the uh, produce and whatever goods they had across the country because it's, yeah. a, it's a wide terrain and everything. Yeah. And the railway was meant to save costs, but the railway instead has shut up costs by 50%, mm-hmm. so 50%, even though it's meant to save money. The Bolton Road, it's it's extenuate, ex, extenuation of the Bolton Road initiative, right? Yeah. Um, and 
the business local businessmen have got so fed up with the high prices that they've started using trucks instead. Yeah. Thus leading the government to make it mandatory to use the railway. Mm. Daniel Maduko, head of imports, says the KPA has uh, has an obligation to feed the railway. We were the guarantees of the railway. Kenya is one of China's largest trade partners, holding 11.5% of Kenya's foreign loans, estimated at $6.5 billion. Oh, God. China's interest payments make up 80% of the service debt uh, service debt expenditure of 2019. Mm. Kenya is so de- so debt ridden that China will soon take over the Mombasa port. Now this mm. tells me something, right? Yeah, they are so indebted, and they're going to take over Kenya's Mombasa port. Why haven't we, as a nation, this is just part of the Chinese expansion, right? Exactly. Why is nobody stepping in and saying, "Hey, hey, this the deal was rotten from the start." Why is nobody saying what is happening? Why aren't we working with our local African partners or anything like that? Uh, yeah. Like they've seen, they've let it go to this court. It's gone through the various courts. And if the Kenya Supreme Court has to say, stop it, like it passed through all the legal things, the lower courts, right? So yeah. the Chinese yeah. were going to get the, they were going to bankrupt the entire city. And then the Kenya Supreme Court said, listen, yeah, this is illegal. Yeah. So, where do we as a nation or even just uh, African neighbors stand in and say, listen, let's work. You know, we're part of uh, BRICS, uh, the various agreements with things. And I understand we need to have trade allies and organizations, right? Mm. But the, isn't it better to have the African unions? I know Africa is, it's each country has their own shit in terms of government and stuff like that. It's hard to find an African government well-run or everybody happy, right? I mean, I showed you that post in the week. I think it was yesterday. Africa is not poor. It's just poorly run. And I mean, that that, that's the beauty of it. It sums up the whole thing. So I think we need to just stand up. I mean, we need to raise awareness to this. Uh, Over to you. Yeah, so that's quite interesting. I also saw that article sometime in the week, I think, or was it? Yeah, sometime in the week. That's interesting because now they are being forced to use the railway. One, that's one thing. Being forced to use the railway, the railway, and now there's this problem of trying to pay back the debt itself because now because of Corona and all those things that have economic downturns and you know trade deficits, a decrease in in, in exports, an increase in imports. All money is being focused towards acquiring PPE you know, equipping hospitals. It's interesting because now we've seen a situation in which in Bangladesh, they failed to pay back a loan to to China for an airport. And that in itself led to China taking over the ports for 99 years, which will end up probably by the time Xi Jinping is dead. So it's going to be interesting to see how we, we <laughs> how we, as, as, an, as, as a country, because we are considered to be the most influential partner on the continent, but also as, as a continent as a whole, as African Union, how will we react? What will we do? Because we've been seeing these cases whereby many countries in Africa are starting to say, this is unsustainable. These projects make no sense. These projects are too costly. Because even if you look at these project, the loans that are put out, affordability is not assessed. The regimes are not assessed. 
the ability to pay back. The interest may be low, yes, but then you have to factor in things like currency exchange. You have to factor in economic downturns. You have to factor in a lot of things when thinking about taking out a loan from another another country. So it's 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 interesting because there's there's a lot of problems that I think many countries do not consider when taking out these loans. And the problem then in that lies in that as much as the current leaders may take out the loan and say it's for the good of the country, it's actually not, it's for their own pockets. The problem in that lies in that as the years go by, it's the future generation that will actually suffer because of that. So Uhuru might take out the loan this year and say, we're going to build the railway, we're going to build the post, whatever the case is. But in 20, 50 years, we'll probably be dead. And then from there on, yeah. it's those generations that have to now come back and say, 20 years ago, this happened, 40 years ago, this happened, and now we are made to bear the brunt, which is, which is I think, is unfair yeah. on all people. Because if you're trying to build a society in which people can actually self-sustain to some degree, at least, Obviously, you're going to need imports, you're going to need to trade, but then you have to build a society in which you can self-sustain to some degree. And these loans are not really working out because if you look at this, China is using these loans as a means to gain ports around the world. They have a port in Bangladesh and they just always give out these projects that make no sense. They give you a, rail a railway in the middle of nowhere and say, we're going to give you an extra one billion of dollars. You're going to build this railway in a, in a year or two and you say yes. Next, you can't pay back the money, and then you have to give up your ports. And imagine giving up your ports for 99 years. Let's say for interest sake, let's say for interest sake, because we also have Chinese investments in South Africa, a lot of them, car factories, Yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. I know there's a car factory, is it in the Eastern Cape, or is it in KZN? There's Hisense, mm. Hisense is Chinese, they have a factory in, in Durban, and all those things. Uh, it's, yeah, it's I also no high Hyundai is Jap Japanese, I think. Hyundai, um, but yeah. So yeah. so let's assume we, we take up a bunch of, of Chinese loans, right? And we most likely gonna fail to pay back because our deficits, our our trade deficit is extremely, extremely alarming. So let's assume we take up a bunch of, of Chinese loans and we build roads in the middle of nowhere in the Northern Cape. We build a road, a massive railway in the Northern Cape for six people, right? And there's no produce, yeah. there's nothing coming from there. And we can't pay back the money after, say, two, three years. And we now have to give up our, our port, the port in Durban, which is mm. the busiest port in Africa. And they're going to make way more than what they initially gave us because the value will go up, the value of, of shipping, the value of using the ports, the value of storage of the ports, and what, what they'll make from taxes through the ports. So it's an interesting dilemma to see many countries starting to find themselves in because some countries, I know in Africa and South Asia, they've been calling for China to scrap part of the loans and say, you guys give us COVID-19. We are battling now. There's no aviation. There's no tourism. We're not sending anything abroad. You guys give us COVID-19. So you're going to have to bear some of the responsibility and cut out some of the loans. China is yet to comment on that. But then the situation in Kenya is quite interesting, though, to be honest. I, I actually have heard that argument. That's quite funny. But also, I think that uh, you kind of have to um, be wary of that because um, I, I don't know if you know, there's two strands, right? So one came from China and then one came from Europe, right? 
Yeah. And we we have a we we had not a I would say it was more European Europeans coming um to South Africa that brought the covid than Chinese. Um yeah. I think they did a they they did a cor- correlation in that. So I think that's that's a bit of ignorant statement, but I I get the point. Like you want retribution for uh what's happening and somebody's got there has to be a scapegoat, yeah. you know. Um yeah, so I, exactly. I think that that's quite interesting. Um in terms of the whole uh BR, it's basically China's expansion policy, it's it's just uh, pure d- doctrine and uh, colonial expansion. Um that ninety nine year deal kind of sounds like the deal that the American the British had with uh, China over Hong Kong. I think that deal still expi- yeah. expired in, don't quote me on it, but like it was recent or is going to be recent. It, it was supposed to expire, I think, in about, I think, 10 to 15 years. I'll just call it now quickly. But what China did is that they made a new law, some new law to actually scrap it and say, well, not anymore. China's taking control of Hong Kong. That's why there are all these protests. I think it was from last year. So this year, there are all these protests, a new law, which says if you mock the flag, if you mock the anthem, if you mock Xi Jinping, if you protest, if you write something on social media, if you're seen as a danger towards the regime, then you're, you're arrested and you could possibly face the death penalty. I'll Google it now and tell you when the Hong Kong thing was supposed to expire. You can go on while you Google this. Um, yeah, I, you know what? I've always been a fan of the expansion of China, solely because they offered a stronger opponent to America than Russia, right? I feel like yeah. you can't have one superpower just ruling complete control. So I was happy with the, the birth and the rise of China, like I, I think it's important the role that they play in balancing out the superpowers, right? So that yeah. I agree. In terms of the uh, of the ideology and whatnot, I I listened mm. to a podcast in the week. Uh, no, I think it was two three weeks ago uh, on Popular Front, um, and this guy mm. Jace, uh, Jake Banahan, he interviewed one of these people. And they talk about the treatment of the Uyghur people. You know, the Uyghur people, uh, yes. Muslims yes. Um, living in the northern province of Xinjiang or something. Um, yeah, yeah. And basically what they're doing, they're throwing these Uyghur people into concentration camps, uh, sterilizing them, um, mm. basically sending them to uh, rehabilitation centers to make sure that they believe in the Chinese doctrine as well yeah, as... Yeah. Um, they aren't allowed to pray. Um, they they removed all mosques and um, um, any Muslim uh, insignia, Islamic is- insignia, and so forth. They're not allowed to pray and so forth, as well as um, they, you know, the the Uyghur burial sites. Right? They've mm-hmm. uh, decided to uh, go in with a bulldozer and just clean out the graveyards and building parking lots on top of it it's quite crazy yeah. and the and the the crazy thing is sorry to yeah. butt in um so the guy was saying that like there's obviously very few people and the only reason they found out about uh these the treat, mistreatment of the Uyghur people because you know there's no 
news coming out of China and uh, going into China without the knowledge of the government. Mm. And the only way they find out is these Uyghur people that left China, right? And they're living in Europe and so forth. And they talk, they'd call their, their family and be like, hey, has so-and-so gone on holiday? And then the family would say, yes, they've gone on holiday. And that was kind of code. They kind of figured out the code on how uh, these people were going missing. Yeah. And um, then they looked at Google Maps. So Google has installed the satellite over the province that they live and they actually captured um, the mass amount of these people moving to these concentration camps. So it's quite interesting mm. how Google p- plays a part in that. Um, yeah, so I was quite yeah, interested yeah. in that. And it's just like, who's going to hold um, China accountable? We said that exactly. uh, China holds Russia accountable and Russia holds America accountable. Those three are obviously leading. Um, yeah. So we said after after World War II, well, there will never ever be a genocide and so forth. But, I mean, they're killing the Uyghur people and when does the UN or any of these other organizations say, hold up, what are we doing? I mean, mm. I, Trump said that, ah, oh, it's not that serious, nothing's happening, they're just being moved or something like that. The world leaders aren't saying anything, you know, and I think that mm. that's something we need to get on as a people. Um, yeah, do you have exactly. any sense to say about that? Yeah, I just want to go back to the protest because I made a promise to Google. And I so the protests were concerning when when Hong Kong was handed over to China in 1997. They were supposed to have special rights and freedoms for 50 years, but then it hasn't been 50 years as yet because it's only been about 20, 23 years. So halfway there, then China takes over the the city of Hong Kong. So now these all these protests and all the on all those things. Concerning the Uyghurs, I, I've, I've come across the problem of Uyghurs. I followed this channel on YouTube called China Uncensored. Quite interesting channel. And I they've been, that. I'll check them out. China, China Uncensored. You should. Yes, okay. China Uncensored. Great channel. All right. They've been talking about the Uyghurs and all Chinese problems from the past eight, nine years. It's interesting to see how China is actually treating these people and trying to turn them around and re-educate them, as you say. And when it's holding them to account, when it's holding them to book. So it's it's quite sad. It's 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 quite appalling to be honest. And I'm not sure what can or should be done. Well, we know what should be done, but we're not sure what can be done at this point in time because China has strict laws in terms of flying in, flying out. Why are you here? They usually give you a a government minder if necessary and all those things. So I I'm not sure how this will work out because China is also now increasing its nuclear nuclear weapons, which in itself is, is another problem in terms of trying to approach China and actually speak about this and confront them about this. But yeah, that's 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 that. So Yeah. And then do you wanna uh, we, we can shift we can shift uh, it over. And then I, I I don't know if you've been paying attention. Um so we've been um, we've kind of uh, released new um, initiatives. Do you follow uh, Dear Dear South Africa? It's a, nope. It's a petition site, right? And you can mm-hmm. basically comment on legislation that they're trying to pass and so forth, right? Yeah. Um, 
So basically, the new, this new proposed policy is to allow networks to build a 5G tower on your property. Minister of Communications mm-hmm. and Digital Technologies, Stella Ndabeni Abrams, has gazetted a new policy on the deployment of communication networks in South Africa and has allowed the public to comment on the proposal before implementation. The policy aims to accommodate the accelerated deployment of electronic communication networks such as LTE and 5G networks. Mm-hmm. The policy gives mobile networks and other lines, licenses the right to select, enter, and use public or private land for the deployment of their network, network infrastructure. Any infrastructure built on this land would belong to the network which built it, and the property owners are directed to avoid damage to the facilities built on their property. Additionally, owners may not charge companies for building infrastructure on their property except under certain conditions. These include cases where intrusive electronic communication networks or facilities such as masts masts are erected on a property. It should be noted that, that this policy is currently open to be to written com- comments from interested parties and will be until third September. So before before we open this up, I just want to say that before you put on your conspiracy hat, I just think that that that, that that's how can you say I can't charge you? You're like, so if somebody can just come to my front yard now and say, "Yeah, I'm putting this tower down in front of your house." Like, I feel like we Africans aren't paying attention to the shit that they're passing. Like, I mean, how is this? It it's perfect sense. Like, if you come living in my room, my spare bedroom, I'm trying to rent, right? Mm. That's fair. You first ask mm. my permission, and then you, then I'll maybe decide. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's three grand a month, yeah. right? But I mean, to say that, hey, anybody can just come say, hey, I'm part of Vodacom, please, I'm going to build a thing in your backyard and this fuck all you can do. I have a problem with that. Why isn't this on News 34? Why, why did I have to go look to this? Check out Dear South Africa. So, like, you can sign the various petitions I'll that they're going. And you can't mm. have a say on that. And I just thought that is crazy. I think I'll drop the link on our social media. Um, but it's crazy. Like, uh, yeah. why don't we know about this? Over to you. You see, that is just interesting for me because it means that the right to own private property is out the window. Exactly. The idea of private property is, is, is extinguished with that. And if someone just comes in and decides to build a tower to in order to enable this 5G network, what about what I have in my yard? You know, because there might be things that are, they might not be of much material value, financial value, but then they might be of sentimental value. And that's why I bought the yard, so I can keep those things on the yard. Exactly. So the right to the right to private property, the right to ownership is, is basically being extinguished with this. And if you look at this, they first pushed us with this whole curfew thing, stay indoors and whatnot and all that nonsense. Then it was cigarettes. I'm not a smoker, but then understand the point of smokers. Then it was alcohol. I'm not a drinker, but then understand the point of drinkers. And a bunch of other things, a bunch of other restrictions. You can't do this, you can't do that. And now we're just being told that we are being deprived of the right to private property, which makes no, no sense to me. I, I, because what what what's the point of then owning property 
if a guy from, say, Telecom or Vodacom or MTN or SLC or whatever can just walk up to you and say, hey, guess what? I've got news for you. Tonight, we put up a tower in your yard and tell your neighbors all because you're coming there tomorrow morning. You know, <laughs> that, that's the problem, my man. I, it's, you know, I hate, to, I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, right? But, like, I think that's why the Americans are so scared to, like, even pass the simplest gun policy because... They don't know where it ends, right? You give give somebody a finger, they'll take the whole fucking hand, right? And I think that's where we need to kind of raise awareness and say, hey, just say no to every policy. Like, go on to Dear South Africa and just veto every policy. Because you don't know where it ends, right? We've had these various court... Exactly. We've had these various court battles now. Uh, uh, British tobacco said the, said the ban was unconstitutional on cigarettes. Uh, then it goes to... Um, the booze ban and so forth and so forth and so forth, right? We are mm. the wool's been pl- pl- pulled over our eyes as South Africans, and I mean, the thing that the reason this isn't shown on News 24 or anything like that is because nobody gives a fuck, and it's only until we raise awareness and say, Hey, hold up, right? I mean, that's I, I mean. I I will stand up for your right to smoke. I mean, it's just simple as that. Like, where, where do we say this ends, right? I saw this girl. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's bad, bad source, but I mean, I saw this girl on TikTok, and she was crying on TikTok because they <laughs> uh, they let people buy alcohol, and everybody's she's like, we should have just let you know, just let the ban continue. I was like, this is an educated person. I mean. If you look at, are we going to say the cost of living versus minimal deaths? I, the correlation doesn't make sense, right? I, yes, mm. yes, gender-based violence rises. And I am an advocate that if you hit a woman, then, you know, jail, you know what, you are scum. Fuck, throw away the key, right? Exactly. But exactly. at the same breath, you don't go to, it's person. It's your personal freedom, right? What do you? What I do with my body is, I only have to answer for that, right? The, like that's the consequences exactly. on me, right? And I mean, alcohol doesn't make you a bad person, right? Look at all the drinkers in the world, right? Everybody that's had the drink, right? Majority, yeah, ninety-eight percent of the people, ninety-seven percent, right, can say that drinking yeah. hasn't made them hit somebody or something like that, right? It's the person yeah. that hit the per the person not the booze right i mean a gun can kill anybody but it's the person that pulls the trigger that fucked up not the gun that fucked up the gun is the instrument exactly right? you need to exactly. you need human interaction to pull the trigger and so forth so that that argument doesn't make sense right yes yeah and to even further case the reason that the cases spike like the incidents and the trauma and all that is filling up because there was prohibition and there wouldn't be a peak now if it would have all normalized if you just hadn't had the ban. It's obvious sense. Like mm. the moment you deprive somebody of something, then they're going to want it. Uh, uh, like exactly. if you tell, I'm pretty sure if you tell your daughter, right, when she grows up now, don't touch the knife. Just because you said she t- don't touch the knife, she's going to touch the knife no matter what you do. Quinzo, right? Exactly. Don't touch the stove. She eventually she'll she'll learn. Okay, cool. Not to touch the stove because she's gonna get burnt. 
But I mean, if you tell her not to touch yeah. the stove, eventually she's going to learn to touch the stove. And then uh, it, the same, it's common sense, you know? Um, <laughs> as, Look, man, the, the, the issue of the ban on cigarettes and, and alcohol is, is an interesting one because I've been seeing a few numbers being released in terms of trauma cases and how hospitals have been able to be free, to free up some beds with the reduction of or the prohibition of alcohol sales. But to move on from that, just to go back to the point of 5G, if the government does, let's say, it, allow, it allows and it's legal for companies to just step on your yard and do as they please, probably go into your kitchen as well and open your fridge. <laughs> the, 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 the question for me now then becomes, for more, 5G phones are expensive. The latest Huawei is like, I think, 20 grand. So what's the rush in building 5G networks when we can barely afford 5G phones, firstly? So to, it's not, it's, it's, we have to try and balance our reality with what we want. So you can't now build infrastructure for the country we wish we had. We must build infrastructure for the country we actually have, right? And, and for instance, most people use a normal 4G phone. Most people can't even afford a cell phone yeah, that yeah. has WhatsApp or the internet or Facebook. So what's the rush to build these 5G networks? I think we'd use that money for other things. I think we'd, we could spend our time doing other things instead of, of passing laws that make no sense because now it's going to be a case whereby several groups are going to challenge this and take it to court, obviously, because it makes no sense because they want to they target the richer areas, you know, your more affluent areas of, of the country. And those people have managed to take them to court. So now it's a case whereby government is spending tons and tons of money going to court, defending a case that makes no sense. That makes no sense at all. But they've done it already. Oh, they've yeah. done it already, man. Like this whole booze ban, cigarette ban. They've done it already, like they've showed. And I just, to go back to your point about fetal uh, spending, right? I, I, yeah. I've been to... So in my travels, I uh, kind of went to like the poorest places. I mean, we think we're poor in Africa. Like I went to Vietnam and Cambodia. Those countries were ravaged by war. Mm. I'm telling you, my man, you'll see, like they don't even have shacks. They just have people living on the side of the road. I was driving one day out in the countryside, man. And um, on the way there, I saw a dad kill his dog because they didn't have food. And then on the way back, they were like cooking the dog. And I was just like, that is hardcore. Like, they eat rats and whatnot. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's just their way of living to survive. Like, they'll do anything to survive, right? And it just yeah. speaks to our case, right? To bear that in mind, right? But they, yeah. that just shows you how poor they are. But in the same sense, right? Their uh, public transport is just on fire, man. Like, they've got buses that run. Mm-hmm. I mean, you walk in the streets of Thailand, you can find Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi. It's it's just crazy mm-hmm. to show you, right? The the buses are on time, the trains are on time, everything is running efficiently, right? In terms of that, the country's gone to shit, but I mean, they've got the basics down, right? The people may not yeah. have food, but I mean, there's public transport that you can take you to your job. I mean, okay, mm-hmm. fine, we have houses, but I mean, don't people need to take transport to get to the work? to keep the economy going. It's just the cogs that keep turning, right? So I think 
let's take that money that we're going to put for 5G and focus on our thing. Because, I mean, they build a railway line, tomorrow gets burnt down. It's just like every day. Like, I pick my guys up in the morning, right? And the other day, I was in Balville at like 6, 6.30 at the taxi rank to pick up my guys. And mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden, I hear shooting. And so one of my guys comes running over and they're like, they shoot, the taxi drivers are fighting over the lane. Uh, so it's the Kailicha to Balville uh, lane. So the Kailicha guys want uh, the ability to take passengers back to Kailicha where the Balville guys own that route or something. So they, they, they're fighting at the moment. So they're coming to Balville, shooting each other with pistols and whatnot. And I was mm-hmm. like, if that is our public transport, right? Mm. What the fuck are we doing, man? Like, I see tr- the tr- police are chilling there, but they, they don't stop the fighting. And that's what kind of my buzz. I mean, we can spend all the money on 5G, but I mean, those towers are going to be stolen. Yeah. Why, why aren't we focusing on what ev- the everyday person uses? Like you said, not many people can afford the 5G things. We're all still chilling on the 4G, and that's fine, right? But when do mm. we have to... You focusing on... The, uh, the cart before the horse. You need the horse before the cart, you know? That's just kind of how it goes. Exactly. So, um, exactly. I think, uh, I think that, and, uh, so, sorry to interject. Um, I, this is my closing ceremony on this, uh, and then over to you. But I just yeah. think that we, to just tie this all up, I think that we should just all just look at Dear South Africa. I'm going to drop the link on our Instagram. And just okay. have people to uh, kind of look at it, you know. I think maybe uh, what we can do is maybe like five minutes of the podcast or something. We can just maybe one day go through each bull, one one bull a week, and just look at the bullshit of the thing. We, like it can be like our little section, you know, bullshit bull of the week that yeah. you can comment on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I mean, everybody go check out the 5G bull. It's bullshit. You know, like that kind of shit. You know, I think that yeah. Uh, yeah. we can take that upon ourselves. But yeah, over to you, man. Yeah. And you know, I just want to stay on, on this motion of, of spending on, on things people barely use, South Africans, that is. So my broadband, well, the author wasn't named, but it was an article in my broadband, which stated the new SAA is set to relaunch in January 2021. Okay, so here are the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's hear it, my man. It's good. Let's hear it. So here are the, the main points I took it. This is interesting for me because I had had something on this as well last week. But anyway, here it goes. So SA is set to relaunch in January 2021, according to a report in the Sunday Times, okay? Government has received more than 10 unsolicited offers to partner with SAA, with Ethiopian being the most prevalent or the most prominent of these, because they previously stated the interest in taking up a stake in SAA. And some investors are looking to integrate SAA, Technical and Mango. Government is in talks with interested investors, and SA needs about 10 billion rands to get flying again. Above this, they'll fire some 3,000 workers and retain some 1,000 employees for the new airline. And here's the kicker. Here is the kicker. Here's the fun bit. The pilots will be reduced from, wait for it, 625 to 88. What? This will be done in a manner that... (laughs) Yes, sir. They'll be reduced from 625 to 88. 
So this will be done in a manner that's in line with improvement equity and not in line with seniority or experience. So it goes. It takes me back to the article from last week, which was in the Independence Online, which said government provides a sneak peek into what the new SA will look like by Spelele Lula, modern aircraft, cost efficiency, a network structure and the right-sized workforce, handout of severance packages, employ new executive and board of directors. The DPA, the DPE is working with RMB to analyze any any investment opportunities and, and people want to buy stakes. And they want to kind of use a telecom structure of having private and public investments. So it's going to be interesting to see how this actually works out. You can go ahead, sir. Okay. Uh, firstly, that six, 625 to 88 is crazy, that number. I mean, that, <laughs> that's like saying, okay, cool, we're going to, like, it's an airline, right? So you, that's the one place yeah. you can't cut costs, right? I understand maybe cutting ground people's costs. Who's going to fly yeah. the plane? Literally, who's, who's going to fly the plane? <laughs> So I, I, I don't but then they want to reduce the number of aircraft as well. Okay, but then if they are going to reduce the number of aircraft they're going to be using as well. Okay, but then why do we need a national airline? If if we're gonna make it so small, why do we need to say okay, cool, let's make SA affordable? Like we've already outsourced everything, right? So why why do we need it? Yeah. I mean we. I think this is just people trying to cling to a lifeline, you know? SAA has died. How many times over the years? How many times over the years has it died, right? And it's not like they're replacing the, the people. Like, I understand. Let's create a whole new airline. We just keep the pilots and the ground staff, mm. lower-level people, right? But the yeah. accounting firm, whoever handles the books, needs to get the fuck out there. Management needs to get the fuck out there. Like, all of them just need to leave. I mean, uh, they, they've milked that cow dry and now they want another 10 billion. It, it doesn't uh, make sense. It really doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's interesting for me because I, I, personally have, I personally have a love affair with, with, with aviation. I love aviation. It could be any form of aviation. I have a love affair with aviation. So for me... Seeing SA go to the go to the dogs and to the woods really was was really really sad. I've always been a supporter of trying to revive SAA, but then within reason. So trying to revive SA with with you know requirements and and rules that don't make sense for me is just senseless and it's gonna lead the airline into the same direction again, especially now in a time where as much as travel has gone has gone down. But then when it does take off again, it's going to be basically a reboot of the whole thing. A, a chance to start over, a chance to cement yourself again as an airline. So with SAA being rebooted, I'm, I'm happy with that as well. But then I'm not quite sure about some of the things they are on about. I think what might save SAA is the ownership structure. Without any for, foreign or private investments, I don't think there's a future for SAA. Because if you look closely, there's quite a few airlines that are flying across Africa, and only one yeah. is profitable. Yeah. Ethiopian. Only Ethiopian can only Ethiopian send the profits year on year. 
even during COVID-19, they've managed to survive. They've turned to cargo. Great mm. job. Love it. Yeah. Okay. But then if you look across many countries, there's room to fly across Africa, which SA has been doing previously. But then with the whole Dudumian scandals and all those things, they've decided to abandon some of those routes. And I think if we can reboot SAA, but we have, we have to have private investors like Telcom. Telcom is listed, it's a proper business and government owns about, I think, 33% stake in Telcom. So if you can do the same thing whereby we have to have people who actually want to make a profit, people who want to compete in aviation. So I think in that sense, you could possibly look at Ethiopian because they're building a new hub in Addis Ababa as well. You could also yeah. look at partners in Qatar. You could look at Ethiopian Airways. You could look at Emirates. They're always looking to invest. But then we have, I just have to say this again. I know I've said this a billion times already. We have to have private investors in SAA. Yeah. No, no, I, I understand. Like, he, he, it's cool. Uh, like, it's, it's like a step in the right direction to have our own airline. And I think that's, that's good. But I think that the government structures, and personally, I, I get why you'd say that maybe we need to have a government stake in it. But I feel like the government has their hands in too many pies at the moment. And I, it's, it's a surprise that they haven't. I'm not trying to sound pessimistic here and anti-government yeah. but I mean it's a surprise that they haven't messed up Telcom like it's just a massive surprise to me and um, I think that always... the only reason why Telcom is still alive is because there's private investments in Telcom so that people actually want to, people to say you know what there are no bailouts we have to make a profit or we die so that's what I'm saying. We need to have private investors in SA as well because there are no bailouts. We need to make a profit or die. No, no, I, I, I agree. I agree in that sense. But I think if you look at when that those, those investments, those private investments came in, right? it, it speaks to the, the time and the context, right? So if you look at that, yeah. I don't think there was that widespread corruption within the government at that stage, right? It wasn't as crippling yeah. as, as it is now. And yeah. if SAA wants this $10 billion now, the, we already mm-hmm. know the government's corrupt. And I feel like that there is going to be a mess up or misappropriation of funds along this. Just because yeah. the, the, animal, the, the body is rotten. You can't give somebody a piece of the body that's rotten. Otherwise, they'll get infected. Like that, that, <laughs> that, 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 That's the analogy that I'm making. I mean, if I give you my finger that's got cancer on it, you're going to like yeah. uh, just the infected thing. So I don't at uh, currently at this stage in time, I don't think it'd be wise for the government to get involved in a, another stake. Maybe later down the line, when they're proven yeah. that there will be no instances, or when we've just kind of cleaned house, then I think maybe. But I think that it purely needs to be run uh, private, privately at the moment. Um, if people have their own piece of skin in the in the game, then they'll be mm. they'll be more inclined to make it work. So I think in yeah. that regard, um, I think it's important. But at the same time, it just speaks to the whole structure of the thing, right? Um, and I think that we need to um, just look at it as a whole and just m- think before we spend this money, right? 
I feel like mm. they 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 always ask money and just give it blindly. So mm. you know, it goes back to that old saying: the government doesn't read, right? Uh, we've spoken to yeah. death, right? And yeah. uh, who's going to read this plan? What is the plan forward with SAA? What is the proposed plan? Before we give this, we, we're giving money that we don't have, right? We can't afford to spend. So how do we say, okay, yeah. cool. What, what are you going to do with money? What is going to be different this time? Exactly. And we don't, we don't have those people in government to say, okay, cool. I mean, I just want to tie this in because I feel, felt like it was too good to uh, forget. And I think it's something that we need to talk about. So once again, I mean, you look at what's happening in Mozambique, right? I just, I know we've discussed this before, uh, but yeah. I just think that it's important that we did talk about it. I mean, um, I don't think the, the public will be able to hear this, but we, we spoke about it last week. So the ISIL fighters last week, they took over the Mosimba de Praia port, which was close in Mozambique, which is close to the major gas fields, um, up north of Mozambique. And after days of mm-hmm. fighting, ISIL took over from uh, took over this gas field, right? Uh, which was worth yeah. something like $60 billion, right? And uh, this port is mainly used for cargo deliveries to these various developments, right? The Mozambican yeah. defense, form, defense forces, right? Um, uh, they were defending this port and then the terrorists la- launched uh, sequenced attacks on several villages surrounding the port. And eventually the Mozambican yeah. Defense Force had to give in because they ran out mm. of bullets. My man, we part of the <laughs> SADC, right? I, I, maybe we don't want to get involved, right? Maybe we don't want to get involved, right? But yeah. the least we can say I do is send our neighbors bullets. <laughs> like if you are fighting, my man, I'm going to send you a stick or something to help you, right? If you're being outnumbered, yeah. if I don't want to get involved. But I mean, these people were outnumbered. They're fight, trying to protect the port, and yeah, we can't even send a boat or plane down there with bullets. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense as neighbors, right? And I mean, yeah. the, the, the think tank Chatham houses said that insurgents are gaining confidence, confidence and are better armed and, they, and organized, while government forces are increasingly uh, overstretched and demoralized, right? When are we going to get involved in this fight? It's I make the analogy of rugby, man. If you, the the opponents have the opposition, they have all the possession and territory. You're not going to win the fight. You need to get in and get position right before it's too late. Um, exactly, man. The whole SA, SNDF, the whole thing of Mozambique is it's. It's a, I don't know, man. It's it's for me. It's quite tragic to see that we are allowing these insurgents to actually gain ground, gain resources, gain capabilities, gain confidence, as you say, which is quite important in such a situation mm. where now they're discussing all these. They they claim to be discussing South Africa, this problem and behind closed doors, despite threats that are made publicly to the country to say, if you dare get involved, we are going to get involved in your country as well. And it it leads it kind of leads me back to the article I have in front of me right now, which concerns Danel, the arms producer of our country, once great and mighty, but yeah, how the mighty have fallen, right? Anyway, the 
the article was in the the, the Mail and Guardian by Sabe Luskiti. Okay. And the title reads Bank Current Bank Currencies Foil Tenels. Bank currencies foil tenels 4.5 billion Egypt contracts. Okay. So that's 4.5 billion rands worth of Egyptian money that we're gonna miss out on because we couldn't get a bank guarantee, right? So here goes. Tenel's failure to provide a guarantee of 4.5 billion rands for the contract to supply the Egyptian Navy with surface to your missiles has led to its cancellation, right? Guarantees are important as they give the client comfort that the job can be completed, okay? The cancellation, let me just see if I'm on the right track. Yes, yeah, I am. The cancellation could signal severe reputational harm as the company is eyeing a 12 billion rand worth worth of work in the coming months. The NEL might only get financial assistance in 2021. It's our arms producer. They might only get financial assistance in 2021. Your country's only arms producer, okay? The NEL has not paid salaries since May, compelling workers to approach the courts or the arms manufacturer to pay up their salaries. Well, the NEL is important in terms of revenue for the government, obviously, because it's an SOE but also supplying the SANDF with defense capabilities, more importantly. And we could blame this on a number of reasons, right? Why Daniel has failed. We could blame the Guptas, which we obviously can, because they've been linked to the company the Guptas own in Asia. We can blame the, de the decreased budget of the SNDF over the past five to eight years. We can blame the sole focus of Daniel on the Middle East, Eastern markets. And and, and a number of other things, right? So despite this loss and not being able to pay salaries, Daniel is eyeing the order of 12 billion rands. Personally, if I needed arms with 12 billion rands, I wouldn't give it to them if they can't produce 4.5 billion rand. So my questions now then become, who will back the guarantees of 12 billion rand? And what are the chances of them getting the contracts given the Egyptian failure? Over to you, sir. Here's my here's my is my question, man. So, yeah, SAA is asking for ten billion, right? And they failed yeah. all these years. Why why aren't yeah. we gladly giving money to the now? It's not like they've uh, they've failed continuously over the years. Exactly. I I think it it's it, sorry. I think it speaks to the management and who's in charge. Uh, obviously, somebody's not getting their be beak wet in the government, so why must we give money, you know? We to you, man. And, and unlike SAA, Daniel has actually tried surviving. There's been, a, was a, I think it was last year. Yeah, it was last year where workers took, a, I think, a 40% pay cut or 30% pay cut to try and save the company. Yeah. And I think they had, like, two good, two good months after that, but then from there on, it's been, you know, down the road, down the road, out the banks and into the river. Where do you, where do you, where do you stop, man? Where, where? It's like <laughs> we have, we have a good company dying and asking for help, right? And mm. we say no, no, no. Let's go to the broke company. It, it mm. just doesn't make sense, man. And I, I don't know what to tell you, uh, like. Uh, we we as a nation were once so strong military wise and it's yeah. it's, it's quite interesting 
Yeah, it's as, as you say, it's, it's interesting for two reasons now, because one, we need the company, not just for the sake of revenue, as I've said, but also for the sake of arms, of defense, because when it comes to war, we have to supply your own arms. You can't rely on a supplier to give you arms at war. So having Denial as a strategic company is extremely, extremely, extremely important. Extremely important. Secondly, if we are going to let Denial die and just you know go to the grave as we are seemingly doing, what happens when you go to Mozambique? Yeah. What happens when we are called upon to go in other, in other regions? Central Africa is always a problem. What happens when we have to go there and we have no arms? No arms. What happens there? We can't even have bullets, maybe. Who knows? Maybe the next bullet situation. Who knows? So, you know, I, I kind of went down a rabbit hole this weekend, uh, this week, to be honest. Um, I've always had a, a passionate interest um, reading military books and like the excerpts of people and whatnot. So I came along, yeah. uh, I looked um, at, because I was driving through Langaban the other day for work. And I passed the yeah. special forces base in Langaban. It's called the SFF terminal, and like it looks very secure and everything. So I was like, that, that kind of led me to kind of just read up about our special forces. And the the material is very far and be, far and in between, you know. But like, mm. I I obviously I know that during uh, apartheid, like our military is one of the strongest and stuff. But our special forces yeah. is still. Right up there with thing, I was looking at so like I just perused the all the articles, and um, it's very little that's kind of given and whatnot because a lot of it's classified and whatnot. But like I was like, okay, cool, you know what? I let me see what the requirements are to join the special forces. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, let, yeah. Let, let's see what it is. Uh, and uh, so uh, like, it's quite interesting. So I saw like these are like a fitness requirement and whatnot. So I'm like, okay, mm. cool. I'm fit. Let me try it out. And I'm like, it was good. Like, it's like you have to do forty push up just like to get into the thing. You have to just they do like a random spot test. So you have to do forty push ups in one without breaking a sweat. So you're not allowed to stop. Just forty straight, and then it's like sixty seven sit ups in two minutes, and then it's. Mm. Sorry, uh, five kilometers in twenty five minutes, and so, so like the injury requirements are quite strict. And then I started looking at the history and whatnot, and these guys are obviously very well trained and like they're just elite athletes. But the same thing mm. goes right. You can't. The, we've been involved in so little, so little co- combat experiences. And I looked at what 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 they do. So our special forces patrol our borders. And they partake in a lot of our UN peacekeeping missions, right? And yeah. I don't know if you remember the Battle of Mankui and Ka. Apparently, the majority mm. of those guys were special forces with a couple of normal infantrymen. And that's why they were able to hold out, I think, the crazy numbers, right? The Battle of Mankui, don't quote me on it, but just hang on. Uh, Battle okay. of Mankui in uh, Ka. Tell you how many soldiers there were. Just, just uh, pull it up and check. Sorry. So 13 paratroopers yeah. were killed, right? That, that, that's what yeah. I hear. Right over here. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's your source? Uh, News 24. Okay. Uh, so the battle took place on the 23rd of March, 
Uh, and it was. Sorry, this is a bad source. Sorry. Uh, do you want to continue speaking about this before? Um... No, no, yeah, yeah, sure. I can go on. I can go on for days about SNDF and the now and the whole lot because I've been with lockdown and them being around on the streets, we've just yeah. been getting seeing to see how you know the dire state in which the armed forces are in. Yeah. And it's it's quite tragic, man, because if you look at these guys, you look at the 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 vehicles they're in, the clothing they're in, the weapons they're carrying. And they just don't look war-ready, man. And it's it's quite tragic because I, I usually see them in the morning when I go to work yeah. in Belleville at the police station. They're usually there every morning. And you can just tell these guys are not ready. These guys are not ready to fight for any reason whatsoever. And I think for me, that's... Sorry. I think that... Um, sorry to cut you off. I think they see, the ones that you see patrolling are the bottom of the barrel. Uh, yeah. Bottom of the barrel troops, you know? Yeah, but then they might be, yes, but then they have to look war-ready to some degree. Yes, they won't look as if they just walked out of, I don't know, Somalia or Sudan, but then they might, they might, they must look as if they can actually walk in and be confident and actually take the guys on, mm. as opposed to having guys look as if, you know, they are, they haven't been outside the country for, some of them are overweight, yeah. some of them can... They can barely stand upright. And you just wonder if these guys are meant to keep us safe and protect our borders. No wonder there's so much smuggling across the borders, barely any form of form of protection or resistance at the border. That's why we are we are we are where we are now. No. Did you find that so? Yeah, yeah, I did. So it's by Halmid Roma Heitman from IOL. So on the yeah. 24th of March, uh, 200 mm-hmm. South African soldiers fought a series of running battles outside Bangui in Central African Republic against 3,000 mm-hmm. or more well-armed troops, well-armed opponents, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. The series of running battles claimed 13 soldiers and 27 others were wounded. But the, refo- the force retained its cohesion and was able to fall back uh, from two separate engagement areas to its base to hold on until the Attackers gave up trying to overrun them and proposed the ceasefire and disengagement. By then, the, ruffle, mm. the rebels had suffered as, uh, more than 500 casualties based on estimates oh. by officers with considerable operational experience. That just, mm. uh, the guards said this is one of the hardest forward actions that the SA Army has experienced, right? And it just goes back yeah. to what that Thomas Mandrup said, you know, that defense guy that came to speak to us. Yeah. He was like, the majority of those guys yeah. were old people from the old army and they were all special mm. forces trained and so forth. So it speaks about the experience and the point of old experience. We need those old guys, people that have had previous military yeah. experience. I mean, we talk about yeah. how South Africans, uh, I listened to this podcast in the week, uh, Tales Less Told. And it says, t- talks to, uh, to this guy, the South African contractor, right? And he goes mm. to say at the height of the whole Iraq thing in, um, in, uh, in 2004, Iraq? right? Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. In 2004, uh, there was about 15,000 yeah. South Africans in Iraq uh, doing security. Mm. 15,000 
South Africans running around the security in Iraq. So it just shows that we are a military force. But we're letting these guys go, yeah. right? We have one of the strictest um, mercenary bulls in the world. I mean, our gun, our, one of the most famous gunship pilots, right? Uh, Neil Ellis, right? He's out there alone by himself in uh, Nigeria and Congo. Like he's got his own, he owns a helicopter and he fights for the various governments where mm. they pay him to go take out these things. I watched, there's a, um, you know, Journeyman Pictures. They've got a documentary on him. It's just him yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, there's just him out there with a Fijian, a Frenchman, and a Russian, Russian flying around this thing in this old uh, war helicopter, uh, just, and like the rebels run away scared and stuff like that. It's crazy, and it just shows that yeah. we have military experience. We're just not using it because a it doesn't oppose the right person in government, and it just speaks to who is running our military defense. You can't have somebody that's never had any experience in that field running it. I mean, our Minister of International Relations, uh, Lady Pandor, she is, you know, like, she sounds like a really nice, well-educated person, but, I mean, what is the experience in, ter- <laughs> in terms of, like, we, we could be in a wartime situation with Mozambique. It's right at our border, and we are doing nothing. I mean, it just we have to get involved sooner than later. Man, I, I, you see with this whole thing of, of it, it brings me to tears, man, because if you look back at, at where we were at one stage as a country, we used to bully our neighbors, which wasn't good, but then it showed our capabilities and strength. Yeah. And now we're just a, a shadow of our former selves. But anyway, before I start weeping, what do you have on your end? I think that was the one thing that I kind of wanted to bring up again. I don't think we, we're talking about that enough. And then just the, once again, the case, I saw there was another article this week uh, saying that maybe that we should take all these corruption scandals to the ICC. Um, you know, it's, mm. um, that, 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 you know, that quote is still stuck in my head. It's so fresh and so beautiful. Um, the quote was um, stealing from your own people is a crime stealing during the pandemic is a crime against humanity against humanity we've shown that the various commissions I mean I feel like ours is the only honest commission in South Africa but we all these various commissions they do nothing the Zonda Commission, what did we find out? You know, they always charge the yeah. low-level people. It's never the big fish that get yeah. caught. And yeah. even when yeah. the big fish get caught, they all praise him as, like, he was a struggle. Like, of course, he might have been a struggle victim, but, like, they, they praise him like he, he did something powerful and he's just being wrongly treated. No, the guy stole. Like, there's no if, or but. Like, he stole... Yes, he may be a struggle veteran, but I mean, that doesn't... Crime is crime. A crime is a crime. I mean, when do you draw the line and say, oh, no, 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 we we have to forgive this. We go back to it. Functional corruption. We we aren't able to do it. Every government around the world is corrupt. But they all seem to know how to do it. I mean, we in South Africa, we've got this... It's that Trevor, no joke again. You know, 
Uh, <laughs> you know, like every government around the world, they go, okay, cool. There's a 10 for 10 bridges, right? They build nine bridges, they still won. In South Africa, where the thing is, all right, get the 10 for 10 bridges. No, just imagine the bridges over there. They're still the whole fucking thing. <laughs> and I think that that's, that that's where we need to kind of draw the line, right? Where, where do we say, okay, yeah. cool. Obviously, we need corruption to keep the cogs running, right? Yeah. Like, there's no way to truly remove that. But what we can mm-hmm. do is just say, okay, cool. You are st- stealing excessively. Like, hold up. You can't steal COVID-19 relief. Really these are meant for the people. I mean, if you want to steal ESCOM's money, go steal that. But, I mean, right now, this COVID-19, oh. like, people are dying. So, let's just... It's a pandemic. Yeah, you know, just keep that money safe. Let's just keep that money safe. Mm. But no, 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 no. We have to... We steal everywhere. And it just... Who's going to say... Okay, if Cyril just goes by and listen, he says, hey, listen here, guys. I understand everybody needs to get their beaks wet, right? Fine. Yeah. Take this tender. Okay, cool. Ace, give your sons their, their tenders, right? But listen, <laughs> can we just give the people this? The people want this. Otherwise, they're going to vote us out. There is no exactly. give or take. And I think that's mm. the balance that we need to find. Maybe we need to send skilled negotiators to join the ANC and they sit around Perfect. and everybody comes out and say, listen, I'm going to steal from this. But like, no, no, no. We already stole from that guy, so you can't steal from him again. Let's just, you know, let's, let's balance the books, man. <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's tragic. As you said earlier on, Africa is poorly managed. It's sort of poor. And nothing could be more true, man. We have an abundance of resources, we have an abundance of skills. We just have the wrong people in power. And I, 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 read, I came across, an, was it a headline or an article that said, by choosing to do nothing as citizens, we are complicit in the government's efforts to run the taps dry. And I, I fully agree, man. I fully agree. By choosing to do nothing, we're absolutely complicit. And I think that's why a platform such as this, we will actually sit down and it, it doesn't change policy overnight. But then I think discussing and bringing these things to the fore is, is important because nowadays most people are you know, stuck up on the smaller things that don't really they don't really make sense. So anyway. Yeah. Um, it's it's it, it's worrying. Yeah, it, you can go on. It's definitely worrying. It's definitely worrying. But um I also think that we should kinda just maybe make our final closing statements on this one because I mean, I can sit here all day and talk shit about people and whatnot. But I, I, you know what? I just want to make this clear to everybody that these are our opinions, uh, not the opinions of others. And we welcome mm-hmm. debate. So if you have a differing point or new knowledge or something that you just want to uh, chat to us about, reach out to us and then we, we, we will, we'll talk about it, man. Maybe we'll even invite yeah. you on the podcast. But these are our views. And, you know, sometimes you've just got to call a spade a spade. I feel like in this exactly. in, in this uh, current climate, people too, are too afraid to call out people on their shit. And I think that's, yeah. the, that's the reason why we created this commission, to kind of just talk about shit. I mean, if people could see our WhatsApp conversations, we'd be in jail. Um, 
probably we would be in jail um but <laughs> i think that's kind of why we have this commission to just talk it out i mean if nobody listens yeah. so be it this is just for us to kind of just vent and rant on a sunday night with a glass of wine yeah um they yeah. say the key to living a happy life is to not speak about religion or politics uh and that's true yeah. but this is our spot I can talk to you and Kaylin and we can just talk it through, man. And if you have a guest on, they can bring a new point of view. We, we're willing to learn. Yeah. We're not rigid on our thoughts and beliefs. So if you have something to prove, bring it to me and we can discuss it. I think that's just my takeaway. Exactly. Yeah, for me, I'd, I'd, I'd fully agree with, with you on that one. And there's something I had in front of me right now, but then we'll probably look at this probably next week or in the future because it's it's a constantly occurring problem. So we can look at this in whatever X amounts of time. It, it involves ISCOM, it involves load trading, it involves corruption. So it's nothing new in that regard. You can look at this probably next week whenever we get a chance. Same shit, different day, man. <laughs> Same shit, different toilet, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautifully said, man. Beautifully said. Said. Um, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I just think that I think we're we're not trying to be the best podcast. I think that it's the best podcast for us. Um, and exactly. He, I think that's cool, and I think me personally, I want to use this as a journey to like evolve my thinking, you know, and let it come across in my writing. Yeah. I know you. Maybe we can learn from this, and you know. Um, build on so this can help with your thesis and my thesis and so forth you know just mm-hmm. build on to that I mean yeah. I think the best conversations we had were those ones just sitting in the department talking so I think this is yeah. just the extenuation of that I mean it's corona so we can't sit in the department yeah. and talk but I mean I, I, yeah, you know yeah we should probably try to get someone on probably next week or the week after just to get a, a difference of a difference of opinion yeah uh, Mikaelin will join us from next week again and then we'll have that but also uh, referring to the segue that we have um, I think in the coming weeks and months uh, we'll have friends of ours on to talk about their old theses and you know shitty toilets and so, so forth yeah. um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, we're gonna just try to keep this constantly evolving if there's a subject matter or something that somebody wants to, us to talk about we'll just rant to invent about yeah. um they can reach out to us uh we are, are on twitter instagram and facebook or questioning commission just type that in yeah. um and yeah. yeah drop us a line um i think that's all i for me or anything on your end brother yeah just one last thing, also welcome positive news. So if the NC builds a house for someone somewhere, or if they build a bridge somewhere somehow, we would we'd like to know about that as well. Yeah, this is, uh, this is uh, to sum it up beautifully, this is not just uh, shit bashing, shit bashing people, you know. If we will praise you, and we will disagree with you. Um, so if they do something good, we'll do something. We'll tell about that. Uh, I don't think this. We just want this to be a negative thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, you know. So thank you, NC, for bringing back level two. Thank you that I can drink again yeah. legally. You know? <laughs> uh, thank you, I can go out and eat. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you. 
But most importantly, thank you for saving all those jobs in the cigarettes and alcohol industry as well. Thank you. I sw- uh, I'm pretty sure everybody in the Western Cape is excited and overwhelmed, especially since we are the biggest wine farms <laughs> and stuff like that. So exactly. Thank you for yeah. thank you for that. Um, yeah, man. Uh, do you want to mm-hmm. drop your Twitter line or anything like that so people can reach out to you, or you're gonna? I'll leave the Twitter line for next week. For the for this week, it's one more reason to come back next week. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, yeah, yeah. We are on Instagram. If people wanna talk, and I think we're we're on Spotify at the moment. Apple soon, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Catch us where you can catch us. And yeah, thank you for staying tuned uh, for this week on the Questioning Commission. Uh, any last words, Quinzo? Have a great week and stay away from negative news. Yeah, don't catch corona. Cheers.